You are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. You know, there are so many absolutely amazing, breathtaking things in our world, isn't there? You know, when I just say that, I I imagine different images pop into your mind, and for me, one of those things that is just kind of so cool is Niagara Falls in Ontario. I, there's something about the falls. Like, I could sit here and explain to you what Niagara Falls looks like, but you'll never, ever catch it unless you go there for yourself and be able to see one of the one of the wonders of the world you know it's like it's like when you're going for a walk and you see that sunrise or that sunset and you're just like whoa that's amazing and you pull out your cell phone and take a picture and look and like this is not what i'm looking at right now it just can't the the colors the 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 actual awe factor can't be captured and it's like man i wish my wife was with me right now to be able to see what I'm seeing because it's breathtaking. I think it was about two weeks ago, I went for a walk, I was taking the dog out at night, and I, in my life, I've never seen that many northern lights out. It was like I was walking through this field with the dog at the middle of the night, and I had my flashlight, and all of a sudden, I, I just was like, man, and I turned off my flashlight, and I was like in this dome of green lights, and they're just moving all around me. I'm like, whoa, I've seen the Northern Lights so many times, but I've never seen this. And I took my phone out and I took some pictures. I'm like, no, it's black. I missed it. But it was so amazing. Did anybody see those, like, probably last week sometime, a week and a half ago maybe? Amazing. But yet, there's things in our life too we don't even give a second look to. There's things in our lives that are just average, normal. We see it all the time, or maybe even ugly. Take a look at this plant here. This is called the century plant. It grows, even though it's called century plant, it grows for about 20 to 30 years. It's got long, ugly leaves with spikes on them. They say that there's, it's so strong that it actually can cut to the bone. The leaves kind of, they grow and grow. They can be about three feet wide, and they just get longer and longer, and the plant gets about four feet tall. And it becomes this ugly, meshy bush of pricklies. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing breathtaking about it. Have you ever been there as a member of the body of Christ, in a place where you just feel insignificant. Sometimes things that appear ugly, they just need the right climate to be able to grow. For this plant grows for years with great coarse, thick leaves as thick as two hands. It's three inches thick and very long. Again, it puts out those sharp claws or those, those prickles. But the uglier, uglier it gets, the bigger this plant gets. The longer it is alive, the more it grows. But near the end of its life, something special happens. This plant all of a sudden breaches up 
and goes 20 to 30 feet in the air with just these spectacular flowers, thousands of them, blooming all over it. See, in this ugliness, in this plant, there's something of beauty just hidden underneath the surface. And I believe in the body of Christ. Every single one of us have got beauty just underneath the surface. See, the enemy would love us to think that we're insignificant. The enemy would love us to think that, you know what, you're never going to amount to anything. Man, he does that and accomplishes that through lies that take root. Maybe lies that, that people of influence in our lives have spoke. You're never going to amount to anything. You know what, you're as stupid as a post. And we listen to these and we're just like, yeah, you know what, he's right. I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. I, I just, I never excelled at school. I'm never, ever going to do well. But yet, hidden underneath of that is an opportunity for God just go, and life emerges. The possibility of all this fragrant beauty was always underneath of that ugly detestableness. Just as that fragrant beauty of our lives is sometimes hidden when we can't even see it. It can become smothered by daily schedules, by the monotonous grind, but often painful experiences, things we don't understand. When all of a sudden we feel like we're in life's crusher. God, why have you brought me here? Why am I going through this? All of a sudden we come to understand when the word says what the enemy has meant for evil that God uses for good. See, let me share this story. I've shared it here once before. But I just think that it really talks about the marvelousness of God. I remember when I was a kid. We grew up in, uh, in Bolton, Ontario. And Bolton was very much a, a hockey town. And just everybody was into hockey. And, and uh, that, was, that was just the thing to do. But my mom and dad, they were, they were laborers in, in, a, in a broom factory. And they didn't make a lot of money, and hockey was an impossibility for them. So I would say, I want to go into hockey. And they put me into skating lessons. They kind of teach me how to skate. But when it got to the actual hockey part, I remember my mom kept saying, you know, Lance, you, you don't want to join hockey, honey. You'll put your eye out. You, know, you, you don't want to do that. You're going to get hurt. You're going to, there's so many people who play hockey, and they, they, they blow out their knees. I don't want to see that happen to my little boy. I'm like, come on, mom. And, but it just, it just didn't work out. And when I hit grade four, I just kind of separated from my class because my class, they grew up as the Bolton Bruins. And they were all on the team and they were all part of this thing and I wasn't. So I became the ostracized kid. And, and, and I'm not going to get into that, but that's where bullying happened. And I, I remember one time walking home and we had alleyways that would go from one street to another. And I remember walking through an alleyway and in both sides of the alleyway, this hockey team came in with sticks to beat me with these hockey sticks. I remember being so terrified to go to school that I would, I would hang around school till everybody was gone. And then I found a different way to go home. And I would sneak downstairs in the basement of the, the school and I found an exit door. And I would use that exit door and my house was here and I would kind of go around this way to get home and nobody would see me. And I did that every single day just so I wouldn't get beat on. What happens 
is my mom and dad finally got to the place where they're like, you know what, we're pulling you out of that school. And they pulled me out in grade six. And I failed grade six because they pulled me out about halfway through the year. And I remember my mom telling me the story that the principal came up to him and up to her up after about me being not there for about a month and a half and said, yeah, we've noticed that Lance hasn't been at school. She's like, really? He hasn't been there for a month and a half and you're calling me now? He's never coming back to that school again. She's like, well, if you don't bring him back to school, we're going to call the truant officer. She says, you can call whoever you want. She says, and I have no problem telling everybody what this school has done to my son. My mom was feisty. So the principal backed down, and the next year I started grade six again in a country school. I started this school as a shell of a kid. I didn't have any friends. I kind of joined there, and I had two teachers who absolutely loved on me. And they started to breathe life into me, and they started to. And I found out later on that these two teachers were Christians. At that time, I didn't know that. But they just started to invest in me. And one of these teachers was a music teacher. And see, in grade seven, it was time to choose our band instruments. And my father says to me, he says, son, it's time to choose your band instrument. What instrument are you thinking about playing? I'm like, um, well, I'd kind of like to play the saxophone. I'd like to play the drums, maybe the guitar. He's like, son, you take the bus a long ways to school. Why don't you be really smart? Pick a flute. Pick a piccolo. Something that you can easily carry in your pocket and you're not going to be weighed down going to school with this. I'm like, oh, I'll see, Dad. So I filled out my list and it had the top three instruments that we were allowed to pick. And I picked number one, drummer. Oh, I wanted to be a drummer. I'll, I'll pack those drums on the bus, no problem. Number two, saxophone. Wanted to play my saxophone. And number three, well, I really wanted one and two. Number three, I don't know, I just put a Hail Mary on there, but usually you get your first or second choice, so I'll put on there trombone. So that was my three instruments that I chose. So it came to the day to hand out all these instruments, and they're handing out all these instruments. And when they're doing that, she calls up everybody and she hands out the instruments, but I never get called. So afterwards, I, I go up to Miss McAlpine. I say, Miss McAlpine, you never called my name. She goes, son... I never got your form. I said, I, I put it on your desk. She says, I'm so sorry, I didn't get it. She says, what would you like? And I told her my three choices of instruments. She goes, all three of those are gone. And I'm like, oh. like, why again? Like, can't I just cut a break? And I said, well, what's left? And she says, the flute's left. I'm like, that's it, I'm gonna kill myself. And she said, or there's the tuba. And she says, son, we need a tuba player. The tuba is the meat and the potatoes of the band. And we don't have one, and I need you to play that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I'll play the tuba. So my dad's waiting for me at the bus stop. <laughs> and I come home with my instrument, and he's like, seriously? And he was so mad that I picked the tuba. 
And I started playing this instrument, and the tuba was a high school, uh, I mean, elementary school tuba. It was beat up. It was, a, it was a mess of an instrument. But you know what? I got pretty good at it. And then one day, I was hanging around the streets, and I was playing, and those kids that I all went to school with, that hockey team, that caught me one day coming back from the arcade. And one of them said to me, they said, you think you got away from us? All these schools go to one high school. And you may have got away from us from grade six, seven, and eight, but in grade nine, we're going to see you, and we are going to kill you in grade nine. Now, bullying was very different back then. You know, bullying back then, like the school was, we are responsible for what happens on school property. As soon as you're off school property, not our problem. And people took advantage of that. And I really, I had fear come on me, fear for my life, that these guys were going to do me in. So I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to, didn't want to go there. I, I just, I felt the pressure and the weight of like, what am I going to do? And then one day we had this thing at our school, these trials. And in these trials, um, these, these guys came and shared about all their different um, jobs and all their different opportunities. And one of them was a music teacher from Cothra Park, which was downtown Toronto. And Cothra Park was a school of the arts. And it was a high school that they were looking for artists, drama majors, music majors, and dance majors. Kind of like fame. You remember the old show Fame. And, but in order to get into this school, you had to audition, and you had to be good enough for them to be able to t uh, pick you because they had the best music, art, dance program in all of the Toronto region. It was, at back at that time, it was the only school of the arts. There's a few of them now, but it was the only one there. And they, they, it was amazing, the, the quality that was there. So I was just like, oh my goodness. This is going to be, for me, an hour and a half bus ride one way every day. So three hours a day I'm on the school bus to be able to get down to this school. But I won't have to go to the school where I fear going. So I went out and I tried out. Do you know what happened when I tried out? I was good, but I wasn't great. But when I went there and tried out, hundreds of saxophone players were there. There was hundreds of flute players there. Do you know there was one tuba player there and that was me? It didn't matter how good I was. They needed me because they needed a tuba player. And God opened up that door for me to be able to go to this school without fear. And I tell you what, high school was one of the best times of my life. It was a school that just, it was a school that, like fame, we broke out in song in the hallways. It was a school that, you know what, it wasn't weird for someone just to be walking down the hall and all of a sudden go. It was normal. And I loved it. And I became popular at this school. And I really started to, all the fear, all the stuff that was piled upon me started falling off. And then in grade 10, that's where I met Jesus. In the middle of the trial, in the middle of the, the, those moments, I couldn't see the trees for the forest. 
And if I had to go to high, uh, off to Humberview, I'm sure God would have done something else, but I did not want to go there. And my dad, I remember my dad saying to me, he says, you know what, Lance, God has always had his hand upon you. He says, if you had gone to Humberview, my guess is you would have dropped out by grade 9, grade 10 because I would have hated it so much. I don't know. Are you in trials right now? Are you in that place where like, I just need a break? Come on, God. What's wrong with me? Why can't I receive freedom? Why can't I get this breakthrough? And it's just like we're being crushed. It's just like, like something's happened. But do you know when, when, when we take a, a mortar and a pedestal and we put spices in it or we put fl flowers in it or some kind of dry stuff in there and we start to break it, this aroma is released. And as you're beating this stuff and as it's getting all mashed up, it all of a sudden goes from a state of being a useless, dried-out piece of spice or flour to this potpourri of fragrance that just makes our houses smell beautiful or makes our food taste amazing. As we are in this crusher of life, we have a choice to say, God, I trust you. With this situation, although I don't see the end right now, I trust you. And this fragrance permeates that fills the nostrils of our Lord. And he goes, what's that? It's beautiful. We stand firm upon the word of God, knowing I know your plans for me, Lord. I know their plans to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. I know the enemy is attacking right now, but greater is he that is in me than he in this world. I know, Lord Jesus, that it doesn't look now, but your word says that you're going to turn it around for good in Jesus' name. That's God. And he's crazy about his kids. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy saying, you know what, you're not going to make it. You know what, you're worthless. You know what, you're stupid. You know what, you're just not going to amount to anything. You listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and say, God, what are you speaking into my family right now? What are you speaking into my life right now? Because that is the voice I need to listen to. As Ray and Melanie shared earlier, they were talking about a time where where I remember last year, it did, man, it did not look good. It looked like there was no other option but divorce. It looked really, really bad, and they're, they're talking to me, and I'm just like, God, and we're praying, and we're praying, and we're pressing in, but it looked like there was no other option. But God says, that's not what I have for you, cows. I have life, and life abundantly, if you step into that place and choose it. And that's what God is speaking over you this morning. Don't let the circumstance dictate your future, but let the problem solver dictate who you are. You are we are uh, princes and princesses. We are of a royal priesthood. We've been bought with a price. And it's time to rise up and say, God, I trust you. It doesn't look good right now, God, but I trust you, God. What better place, whose better hands would do you want to be in right now? I love my spouse, but you know what? She can't carry me. 
I love my friends, but you know what? They can't carry me. But God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He was always there pouring and speaking life into my spirit. It's time we just got to listen and just say, God, I surrender. God, I've been holding on to stuff. Lord, I've been trusting in everything else, God, but you. And Lord, I, today I need to lay all that aside and I need to trust you with everything. Isaiah 61.3 says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. How much tr do you trust God? Whose voice are you listening to? Every once in a while, I like to come up with one of those thought-provoking questions that you can write down and really think about it and ask yourself that and ask your spouse that and just open up discussion. Here it is this morning. If I was to round up 10 people who know you the best and you weren't in the room, would they say that you're a joyful person? If I was to round up 10 people who know you the best and you weren't in the room, would they say that you're a joyful person? See, I think so many times, again, in the world we focus on happiness. And happiness is fleeting. Marriages, new relationships, new stuff, things bring us happiness. But very soon those things that made us happy just don't do it for us anymore. So we are on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing on this vicious cycle of being starving. But in Christ, there is fullness of joy. And joy is eternal. It's everlasting. It's when we sit in that place and say, God, I trust you. Lord, your mercies for me are new every morning. Lord, what you have for me in this moment, God, I am so thankful. And that's when joy fills our life and brings forth a satisfaction that the world is looking for. I can't get no satisfaction. Try God! <laughs> Done! It doesn't matter how much money you're making. It doesn't matter what you're, where you are or what you're doing or what amazing view you're looking at. God brings us fullness of joy. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for his own time. He's planted eternally in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. Let's take a look this morning at some of the heroes of the faith and how they handle rough waters. Look at Daniel. The guy was thrown into a lion's den. That's a bad day. And he's thrown in the lion's den for what? For praying. And the king didn't want him to go into the lion's den, but he signed a decree that he had to stick to. So the king, an ungodly king, went back and started praying and fasting for Daniel. 
And the morning when they took the lid off the lion's den, he's like, Daniel, are you okay? And Daniel's like, yep. My God silenced the mouth of the lions. He's like, that is awesome. Those two guys who made me sign that, go get them. They're going to go in and see what happens to them. And the Bible says before they even had the ground, the lions had them shredded. It's powerful. What about Paul and Silas? The Bible says they were severely beaten with wooden rods. That's a bad day. And then they were thrown in the inner part of the dungeon and locked up. And they started singing songs and hymns, worshiping God. And the whole dungeon shook and the chains fell off. There's something about worship in the middle of crisis. There's something about, Lord, help me not to focus on me because my back is killing me right now. I just got hit with a rod. Lord, I'm bleeding, I'm bruised, I'm broken, I'm in pain. But God, help me to focus upon you. You are good. You are good. You are good. What about Hannah? Hannah couldn't have a child. I know what that's like. She went to the tabernacle before Eli, and she was in desperate prayer before the Lord, and so much so that Eli thought she was drunk. She says, please, sir, I'm just, my heart is so upset right now. My heart just needs God because God needs to break through and needs to give me a child. And then all of a sudden, the Lord hears her prayer, gives Hannah a child, her first child, Samuel. And she drops Samuel off at the church and dedicates him to the Lord. Lord, he's yours. Amazing woman of God. My friends, God is always an, is, and always will and always has been about the, the heart. In fact, the Bible says God told Samuel, look aren't everything. Don't, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with looks and stature. I've already eliminated him, but God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face, but God looks into the heart. How's your heart? See, when we get down, it's so easy to look at situations through our natural eyes, to focus on the problem and not the solution. It's like one of those 3D puzzles. Do you remember those? Just a whole bunch of dots all over the place and you stay there and you stand, stare at it and stare at it and stare at it. And it's just like it becomes so frustrating because all you see is dots. And then people say, don't look at the dots, but look through it. I'm like, how can I not look at the dots? So you look and your eyes start to water. You're like, I'm going to get this. But then all of a sudden, boom, this image pops through and you're like, whoa, I get it. This jumbled mess all of a sudden comes into focus. It's like, that is so cool. Psalm 69, 20 says, Reproach has broken my heart. I'm so full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was no one. And for comforters, I found none. See, the devil wants us to feel sorry for ourselves. He wants you to feel sorry, alone, depressed. Don't let him lead you down that path. For the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. There is so much freedom in knowing that, yes, it may look dark right now, but God has us right where he wants us. We are in the palm of his hands. You feel like you're in life's crusher? Are you wondering, God, what can you really do with a situation like I'm dealing with right now? I just want to show you something. Ernie, come on up here and give me a hand. Just stand there and face the audience.
All right, can you see? All right, I'm going to take something and I'm going to put it into this little canister. We've all seen that before. Hopefully it won't bite or any too bad. All right. Can you tell what this is? Don't look, just smell. Can't really smell it? Now, I want to show you something here, Ernie. Now, I'm going to make a loud noise here, Ernie, but don't worry, you're all right, you're safe. Tear clippers. When I give it to Ernie in its original form, a cinnamon stick, it's bark. And there is a, if he had seen it, he'd be able to go, yeah, it's cinnamon. You can, you can smell a slight hint of cinnamon. But when you grind it, the aroma just permeates. And I imagine you guys are starting to smell it now because it's so strong. This is our lives. When we feel like we're in the crusher, when we feel like it's just we're getting, we're getting pressed on, this aroma just permeates the nostrils of the Lord. And that is when every single one of us has a choice. We can give up. God's given us a free will. He's not a bully. And say, you know what? Enough of this for me. Or we can get on our knees and just say, God... I need you more now than I've ever needed you in my life. And God, I desire a breakthrough in my life. And we knock, and we knock, and we knock, and we knock. And all of a sudden, we are able to share that testimony because what we don't see with the trees in the forest, we don't see right here, we see later on, like that tuba story. That was back when I was in high school. I'm now out of high school. And I can see the past and see how God directed that whole past. But at that very moment, I couldn't see it. God has great plans for you. Every one of us in this room, at one time or another, will feel the squeeze of being put into the press. But it's in the press where we grow. It's in the press where that beautiful aroma is released and an offering is given up to God. Sydney and I, we got to get away for a week here in Mexico. And when we got away, we met this couple there. 
And they would say to us every day that we have to go to a meeting and they would go to a friends of Bill and friends of Bill and something. Dr. Bill? Did anyone know that is? Friends of Dr. Bill? What? Friends of Bill and Lois? Maybe friends of Bill and Lois. Yeah, we got to go to a meeting. We go to the friends of Bill and Lois meeting. It's like, oh, they're, they're friends of Bill and Lois. <laughs> Who's Bill and Lois? I had no idea. And then the next day, it's like, oh, we got to go. We're, we're going to friends of Bill and Lois meeting. It's like, okay. Then finally, it's like, who is Bill and Lois? Can, like, I want to know them. Can I be their friend too? Like, they got a whole meeting of people just, hey, we're going to have tomorrow, Monday, 9 o'clock a.m., friends of Lance Steve's meeting. You're all welcome. No? It's like, what is going on here? So he's like, well, no, it's, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm like, I had no, why didn't they just call it Alcoholics Anonymous? Like, well, because it's, a, it's open for people who are in any group. You know, uh, we've had, uh, here we've had, you know, Sex Anonymous in there. We've had uh, Narcotics Anonymous in there. We've had a whole bunch of people. And he goes, and I just go there, and I, and I lead this meeting. I'm like, well, how do they know that you're going to lead it? He's like, they don't. You just go, and whoever is there, whoever feels like they want to lead it, they lead it. I said, so what makes you want to lead it? He says, well, he says, I was an alcoholic for however many years, he says, I lost my license three times to being drunk. And finally, something changed in my life where I'm just like, I can't do this to myself anymore. And he says, and I found so much help and so much support in Alcoholics Anonymous. He goes, now, I haven't had a drink for however long, I don't remember, five years. I haven't had a drink for five years, and I go five times a week to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and I lead them when I can. I'm just like, Beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. God took a situation that was dark, a situation that was grim, and all of a sudden this guy is leading people and changing people and challenging people. Stick with it. It's going to be tough, but stick with it. God's got better plans for you. And it was just so cool to be able to meet this couple. Psalms 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. That this morning is our key to drawing close to God, to finding comfort knowing that he has the good plans for us, which I already quoted a little while ago, Jeremiah 29 11. Are you in the mortar this morning? And you feel the squeeze of the pestle surrounding, surrounding you? Take this time just to say, God, Ernie, Help me not to give up, Lord. But help me, Lord, to press into your presence. Because there is where I'm going to find life. The enemy is going to lie to you and saying, you know what, you're going to find love in another relationship. You're going to find hope in a bottle. You know what? Stay away from the church filled with hypocrites. And it's in that place where it's just like, God, I need you. And I need to hear your word and your voice. As Ernie leads us this morning, I'm just going to call the elders to the front to be able to pray for us. And if you're here this morning and you're just going through it right now with whatever, I'm going to give you two options this morning. Number one, if it's something that you just want to just lay your heart out before God 
then just come on up and kneel at the altar. And that means that we won't put our hands on you. We won't touch you. This is just you and God time. But if you want someone to stand with you, maybe you want to confess and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this right now. Would you help me? Where there's light shines, darkness can't thrive. Confess your sins one to another. It's something that we forget about in the church today because we want to hide ourselves, isolate ourselves, and make ourselves private. If people knew who I really was, if people knew what really happened to me, lies, lies, lies. People knew who you really were, they would walk with you and say, listen, I'm going to pray for you. I want to I see you come out the other side because I believe in you, and not only in you, but I believe in your God to be able to be your deliverer. So this morning, if that's you, I just encourage you to come. And we want to pray for you. We want to agree that God is the answer. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.